Eanes is proud to present the WHS Healthy Shop Speaker Series. This week, Colin Moss and Jason Cole share Raising Emotionally Healthy Boys, the Effect of Trauma, Violence, and Society on Cis Males and What We Can Do About It. I'm a therapist in town. In fact, I'm like, you can throw a baseball and hit my office. Um, and this is Colin. I'm Colin Moss. I uh, also am a therapist in private practice. And so this was actually something that Colin and I have been doing as a training for other therapists, um, where we were kind of, we figured out that this might be an issue for people, especially as I'm sure you guys watched some of the debates last night. In it, they were talking a lot about male violence and how people get radicalized, what happens to boys, all that kind of stuff. And so this is a really hot topic right now. And so we decided that, hey, therapists need to be prepared for this stuff. So this is a version of our presentation that we give to other therapists. However, we've tweaked it a bit because this is actually something we can all do. This is something we can do in our homes. These are something we can be doing on the ground with the boys in our homes. And so just real quick, starting off, um, one, of, one of the things with the titles, um, this is the effects of trauma, violence, and society on cis males. So this discussion is only around boys born with the Y chromosome who identify as males. Um, that's the, the kind of where the only thing that we're going to be talking about today for this for the purpose of this discussion. Okay, so this is um, real quick. I like to start all of my presentations with my soapbox, and this is just something you guys have to endure for just a second. Um, First thing is we are all, as humans, we are all built for survival, all of us. We are built to survive. So with this framework, I use this as a framework to understand any mental health challenge. So one of the questions that we can always ask when we see a behavior we don't understand is how is this behavior keeping this person safe? And so with that lens, we can have a little bit more understanding and empathy towards what we're seeing in front of us. Um, so be careful with labels. This is or soapbox thing of mine. Um, there's a thing in the therapist community that we like to diagnose and label people, but it's actually easier to diagnose on the first session than it is the 10th. And that's because we get to know people better. Individuals have their own stories and their own backgrounds and their own complex complexities, and it's, labels can be kind of forcing somebody into a box that may or may not be helpful. So that's just an adjacent thing. And the next thing is that emotions exist. This is not a gender thing. All human beings experience the full range of all the emotions, all of us, regardless of gender identity, regardless of background. As a human being on this planet, we all have the same range of emotions. So that's just something to start off with. Okay, so given that, there's this idea of precarious manhood. And this is that manhood is a social status that is earned. This is something we earn by our actions in society. That's at least what society is telling us. Um, it's also something that is unstable and can easily be lost. If you do something that is not deemed manly, you've then lost, turn in your man card. Right, I'm sure you guys have heard that. Right? So manhood also requires in our society public displays of proof. How are you proving in this moment that you're acting in a manly manner? So male norms include physical toughness, emotional stoicism, anti-femininity, and rigid self-reliance. And that's just some of current society's views on what it means to be a man. Now, whether or not this is helpful, we'll get into. Okay, so these, we're going to get into these acceptable ways of being. And I have some pictures to go along with these just to kind of help out. So the first one is the sturdy oak. Sturdy oak is somebody like Mr. Darcy, right, who is stoic, stable, independent, 
This, this person does not share pain or openly grieve. These are, by the way, these are ideals of manhood that, that society tells us are the okay ways of being. The next is the warrior, right? The extreme daring, bravado, attraction to violence. This is where some of that boys will be boys stuff comes up. Of like you see two boys fighting, you're like, oh, that's just, that's just part of how boys are. are. They're, they're violent. This is what, how, what we're supposed to be. The next one is the achiever. I have a picture of the godfather up here. So this is the imperative of boys to achieve status, dominance, and power. This is avoiding shame at all costs. This says everything is under control. I've got it. Nobody needs to help me. I can do this all by myself. It's that mask of cool. I'm phased. And the other one is the anti-feminine. Sometimes men define themselves as being not women. And so things that they determine to be feminine characteristics are things like dependence, warmth, empathy, vulnerability. These things are deemed as feminine values and therefore, it's not safe and I'll lose my precarious manhood. So as a result, we bury feelings. Any slip-ups are met, met with shame and ridicule. So despite this, like, what, like I said in the beginning, emotions exist. So we all experience the same range of emotions. We all need love and acceptance. This is universally true for all human beings. Um, also universally true, vulnerability is, an, is necessary for connection. We cannot connect with another person if we're not willing to be open with that person. There's a wall between us. So traditional gender norms seem to, seem to indicate that these emotions and feelings are wrong, that there's something wrong with some of these feelings that we're having inside, that certain feelings that we're having aren't allowed by our ways of being, and thus we, men become in conflict with their own inner world. Because, of course, they're experiencing the whole range of emotion, fear, loneliness, terror, sadness, anger, all of them. And yet, there's only a few that they can show. Yeah, we kind of consider this presentation more of a discussion starter. Um, we have some ideas that we'd like to share with you guys. Um, maybe not a whole lot of answers. I don't know if you're coming for answers, but um, we have a lot of questions that we can generate. Um, so how did we get here? Well, where exactly is here and what are we talking about? Um, and uh, according to our title, we're talking about violence and trauma and um, how those interrelate working with uh, boys and men. So um, why are men more violent? <clears throat> Here's some statistics uh, to kind of bring home the point. Um, homicide, uh, violence to others, suicide, violence to oneself, and intimate partner violence, uh, violence uh, with a current or former intimate partner. Um, so an interesting side note about the um, suicide stat, men are 3.53 um, more times likely to die by suicide. Um, men and women commit suicide at the same rate attempt uh, suicide at the, at the, at the same rate, uh, but men are more successful because their means are more violent, um, which is kind of where we're going with all this. Um, but these are just three glaring statistics to kind of get the conversation going. But I'd like to figure out what may be going on here. Um, nature and nurture, two main things to consider here are biology and society. Jason's already kind of uh, touched on the society part. I'm going to uh, talk a little bit more about the biology uh, but brains, our brains and behavior are interrelated with society and each influencing each other. All right, the male brain. Let's start with the male brain. I almost went with the Homer Simpson slide here because there's a great one of a very tiny brain in his head. It's a 
but <laughs> I decided, you know, maybe not the humor is right, to, right now. Um, we're going to have a short discussion about hormones, uh, particularly important to the male brain, how that affects neural circuitry and structures differently in the brain and the process mat of maturity that happens during adolescence. Um, the first hormone to discuss is the king of all hormones, testosterone. This is the hormone that drives male compulsion to outrank other males. It also kicks on the sex and aggression circuits, uh, which incidentally have been shown to overlap and are located in the same region of the brain. I think it's the hypothalamus. Um, and girls and boy brains start out identical. In utero, uh, development, uh, different hormones kick in during development and direct uh, the brain development. Um, during this time, a boy's brain is baking in a bath of testosterone. Um, this testosterone overdrive is kicked in until about year one after they're born, and then it shuts down. Uh, it comes back on during adolescence, um, and it fuels uh, behavior and further brain development. Um, next is the mullerian inhibiting substance. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, this suppresses female circuitry being developed in the brain. It destroys girl parts and builds the boy parts. Um, it enhances male brain circuitry, such as um, traditional exploratory behavior we see in boys and babies, um, more advanced muscular and motor, motor control, spatial skills, and rough play. Uh, lastly, I'll mention vasopressin. It's a major player in the brain and behavior development. Uh, this hormone is responsible for aggression as it relates to one's turf, mate, and progeny. And notice for a second this slide is... Turf, mate, and progeny. <laughs> Very proud of myself for that picture. Um, see, you get it. Good. <laughs> uh, now that we set the stage for having the hormones drive the structure um, uh, and circuitry development, let's talk about how uh, boys' brains differ with girls' brains. All right, with, uh, with regards to brain structures, uh, boys have a larger amygdala. I think that's kind of the lower top of the spine, lower uh, base. Um, this is our uh, reptilian brain. Um, it's our pattern recognition system. And it instantly detects danger and sends us into fight, flight, freeze mode uh, before we can think about it. Um, and this is automatic. This is pre-thought. This happens before we can even think. And um, I'll just go off on a little tangent here. Uh, a lot of uh, soldiers are coming back from wars uh, with PTSD, and um, a lot of what they're feeling for not being able to act in a moment of crisis. And um, you can act a um, hundred different, you know, you can act three different ways. You can freeze in the moment, you can uh, run away, or you can fight. And soldiers are trained to fight. And when they don't fight and they see their comrades or their, you know, fellow uh, soldiers um, being shot down, uh, they carry so much shame and guilt with that. And um, part of what we do is educating that, educating them that this, it's not your fault. Like, you, you can't control your brain in these situations. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, boys have a larger dorsal premillary nucleus, and this is the area that deals with territory, fear, and aggression. Equally important is that boys have a smaller mirror neuron system, and this is the biological seat of our empathy. Um, at birth, uh, we physically mirror our caregivers, uh, and this develops uh, the sense of others externally and eventually internally. And as we get older and develop um, more uh, complexity in that, that's, how we, that's where we get empathy. That's kind of, like I said, the biological seed of it. Uh, boys also have a smaller and slower to develop, um, and if anyone has teenagers, they know this, uh, prefrontal cortex. And this is the area of executive functioning um, and impulse control. 
uh, and as we move into adolescence, uh, boys' brains have kicked into high testosterone gear, affecting their mood, cognitive function, and sleep cycles. Uh, adolescent boys just stay up later. They can't go to sleep. They struggle to fall asleep and, then, and maintain restful uh, sleep. Uh, on a side note, this is, uh, these are the years that boys start to fall behind in school and are at a higher risk for dropout and punishment relating uh, to tardiness and behavior. Adolescence is when two important things happen to the brain. Uh, Dan Siegel, I'm not sure if anyone knows his name, but he's a clinical professor of psychiatry, uh, as well as a leader in the neuroscience movement, um, calls it the pruning and myelination phases. During pruning, circuits, brain circuits that aren't being used uh, that much are cut away, enabling more energy to be devoted to parts of the brain that aren't being used. It's the use it or lose it phase. Um, so think about how this affects uh, boys in situations where violence is promoted at home or in like sports, aggressive sports, social circles, etc. Myelination is a process uh, that the brain goes through to establish stronger connections between neurons. Uh, the more signals that neurons fire to each other, the stronger that connection between the neurons. Uh, it happens um, because the brain wraps these neuronal connections, I think, right, yeah, in a sheath, a fatty sheath, um, and it promotes faster communication. I think it's like, what, 3,000 times faster once it's fully myelinated. Uh, so between pruning, the cutting away, and the myelination of strengthening uh, circuits that are left, boys' brains that are already geared more towards violence and aggression get even more into the threat. It's one reason that violence and aggression observed in childhood is a good predictor of violence in adulthood. The kid who was violent in their younger years is reinforced in these behaviors through testosterone overdrive, uh, pruning, and myelination. So where is this all leading us with regards to working uh, with people like Jason and I, working with men and boys? Um, well, PTSD, violence and uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, women are twice as likely as men to experience PTSD after a traumatic experience than men. Let that sink in just for a little bit. Twice as likely to develop PTSD. So why is that? And there are some partial explanations. Uh, there's a reporting bias for symptoms. Uh, men are far less likely to report symptoms of PTSD. Uh, there's a reporting bias for events. Um, uh, women are less likely to, avoid, uh, to report traumatic events. Um, there's a victim versus witness uh, bias. Um, Boys and men are more affected uh, by being the victim of trauma, and women are equally uh, affected by being the victim and witnessing the event. Men are far more likely to, to experience trauma of any kind. So does this mean the type of trauma experience is the key to the disparity in PTSD, uh, PTSD rates? Maybe. Um, trauma by type. There's a study entitled uh, Sex Differences in Trauma and PTSD. It's a 25 year uh, research, um, like meta-analysis. And they study the type of uh, trauma that women suffer versus men. And women are far more likely to report experiencing sexual assault, abuse-type trauma than men. Uh, men, on the other hand, experience much more non-sexual trauma than women, like violence, war, um, things of that nature. So does trauma that is more victimizing by nature more traumatic? And that is why there is such a discrepancy uh, in the rates. Um, we don't know. The experts don't agree. But it led me to two more questions that I wanted to explore. Um, are boys' brains, uh, are they prepared for trauma? Boys have got, uh, we've got the hormones which drive development and behavior towards violence and aggression. We've got larger uh, brain structures in place to deal with it and smaller uh, structures to inhibit it. It drives years of behavior re revolved around aggressive play, play fighting, violent sports, etc. 
And I think herein lies the discrepancy between male and female PTSD rates. Boys' brains are inoculated to the adverse effects of PTSD, not immune. And the wild traumatic stress response is a positive thing. So when something happens to us, um, there's a short period where we feel uh, there's sleeplessness, hypervigilance, being easily startled. All these are great things when we're cavemen and the saber-toothed tiger is uh, following us. But uh, when we go to work and our boss is yelling at us, that's not a good reaction to have. Um, but they do help us survive in the short term in the wild. In the long run, uh, they can be damaging um, to the individual and to the group. And in the modern society, we realize that the prolonged traumatic stress response is detrimental to the individual and the group. And I think through evolutionary process, men are primed for violence and aggression, which leads to trauma, and have gone through the inoculation process and brain development and young childhood and adolescence. I think conversely, the type of trauma that women suffer, sexual abuse and victimization, is not habituated in the childhood and adolescence of girls like violence and aggression is in boys. Um, and then there's a little graphic on the cycle of development. Um, it's a little flow chart, it's kind of basic, I know, but starting with the brain, drinstone hormones, uh, it directs behavior outward. Um, our caregivers, friends, family, peers, etc., cetera, uh, they react and reinforce this behavior. As we get older, the cycle is further reinvo uh, reinforced through pruning and myelination. And leaning back to development, which dictates behavior, and just around and around we go. Okay, so this conflict that we're having between this fact that we have and experience the full range of emotions and that we live in the world, and yet we... And we all have the same basic needs as people, needs to have connection, needs to be cared for, needs to be loved. That these things exist, and yet we, like we talked about earlier, all those acceptable ways of being, a lot of those don't include things like connection. They don't include things like being together or working together or helping each other. Um, so sometimes this results in isolation, which also leads to Anxiety, depression, loneliness, all these things which we know are silent killers. We know that loneliness is now listed as more, an, a better predictor for an early death than heart disease. So um, we know that this is bad for us. Um, we know that um, something needs to change. But So what can we do? So I've, I've kind of put these into three main kind of big, big deals. And the first one is... Um, Help facilitate allowing, and I'm going to get into what that means, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to facilitate an internal felt sense of safety, something that says, I'm okay, I'm safe, I don't need to be, I don't need to be defended right now. Um, that's something that as parents and as uh, in the home, that's something we can do a lot with. Next is um, helping the child to recognize their agency or choice, and finally, um, encouraging connection. Okay, so the power of allowing. And this is such a big deal. Um, we can allow for emotions to exist, period. We can allow for the fact that we all have emotions, that they're there. They don't necessarily mean a behavior, right? And so one of, one of our jobs as parents is to help our children to understand that emotions in and of itself are okay, regardless. We can't help our emotions. We experience them. They come on. They, they're there, right? What we can help our children to do is to see and notice the difference between an emotion and a behavior. Those two things are different. A behavior can be a reaction to an emotion. 
especially if we become overwhelmed, we react in, a, in ways that oftentimes are ways, our go-to ways of staying safe. Um, and we know that in our head, we can also allow for that behavior in our children to be there to begin with. Sometimes it's like, oh, okay, how is this behavior keeping my child safe? And that can allow us to calm ourselves, to, to notice how we are reacting to them, to notice are we enforcing that behavior? Are we making them feel more safe or less safe in this moment? And if they feel safe, then that, then that defensive thing that comes up inside of them that's reacting can take a back seat. They can say, oh, okay, I get to feel this way. This is okay for me. I can be here. So as parents, we can give love and acceptance. And one of the ways I'd like to do this, and this is part of like my therapeutic stance, but I think that this is a good parental one as well. That thing that says, I see you, I accept you, and I'm not going anywhere. You're not going to lose me. This is not too big for me. I'm right here. So this next gets into this idea about choice and about agency. Oftentimes, we all use these words, by the way, should and need to. Oh, I should, I should go to the gym today. Oh, I need to go, this, all these things on my list. One of the th first things I do in any session with anybody, regardless of their age, is ask the question, what did you choose to do? And that takes it away from having that should or that need to, right? The minute we have a should, we are already behind. We're already failing. Because we should be doing something we're not. Something on our list. So the importance of this is around helping them to see what the behavior actually is. What did you choose to do? Where is your choice? This is helping to promote their own agency, to help them to see the behavior, and helping them to see the behavior as something separate than the emotion. Okay. So here's a list of some stuff we can do at home. Right? Goal can be to be with, not to fix, in the, in the moment. Right? You can just be with somebody while they're going through and experiencing something. And that's part of elevating that idea of felt sense of safety of, hey, somebody's with me. I'm not by myself. I don't have to do this alone. Um, elevating choice and agency helps ameliorate consequences. We can help that with that. Like, hey, you chose to do this, and with that choice comes certain consequences. And helping to enumerate those things helps to see their own agency and their own role in all of this. Okay? And we are wired to attune to others. And this is a big deal. This is all human beings. Now, whether or not in males, that gets smaller than in women, as Colin was talking about. But it's still there. And sometimes we have to work a little bit harder to get there. It exists. And it's actually really, really, really important. I don't know if you guys were watching the debates last night. But Andrew Yang was talking, and he was talking about this, this guy that got radicalized at the age of 14 into a hate group. And he was talking to this, this man. And the man said, I was so alone. And it was only this group that reached out. And it was this hate group that had all these horrible things, but they were the only ones that cared at that time. If it was a coach, if it was my dad, if it was my mom, I would have gone with them. But it wasn't. It was this hate group. And so that is something that we can all learn from, that all of us need connection, especially our lonely boys. So um, 
This other thing around felt sense of safety. How are you doing in this moment as a parent? How are you? What is your nervous system like? Are you, are you defended? Are they doing something in this moment that is triggering you? Can be, right? Like our kids can drive us crazy. This is like totally normal. But, it, but knowing what that is and taking that step back to get yourself back under control where you are showing them that you are okay and that this isn't too much for them because the, it's your actions that actually teach them the things. It's not the words. They're going to notice how you are in that, in that minute. Is this really safe? Can I really do this? So um, other things we can do are check in, and we can ask them what it's like, try to see out their window. We can connect. We show them by the, our way of being that it's okay. But through it all, make it known that what it is that you're doing, that you're allowing them to matter, that you care, and that's why you're here, and that's why you're doing this. I'm here with you in this minute because you matter to me. So uh, this gets into the modeling stuff, and that's kind of what I was just talking about. Our children are watching. What is the example that they're seeing at home? Are they seeing violence in the home? Are they seeing dad lose it, lose it and fly off the handle? Are they seeing mom lose it and fly off the handle? How, are, how do you guys handle stress? How do you guys handle your emotions? So we can teach by doing. Always. Making things transparent. We can also show our kids that we have emotions and that those emotions are okay. We can do it through kind of maintaining the role of the parent, right? We're not going to completely fall apart, and that could seem very unsafe for a child. But we can say, gosh, this is really upsetting to me. When you said that, it really hurt me. So it's making all these things clear, the full range of emotions. We can show that they can be okay and they can exist. And I can have this emotion, and I can still be in control. I can have this emotion, and I can act in a way that's appropriate. Okay? Do we allow our boys to feel like they matter? Are we doing a good job of that at home? How often do we tell them that they're important? How often do we tell them and show them that you care, you're not going anywhere, and that they matter? So unhelpful actions. <laughs> Please do not shame and invalidate emotions. Right? The minute we shame somebody for having an emotion, it just reinforces all the things that they're already getting in society. Okay? Please don't ignore your own system while we're talking to our kids. Am I really fired up? Am I feeling defensive? Am I, how am I in this moment right now? Please do not, don't be careless with the language that you use. Again, should or need to. Help them to see this idea around choice. Help them to see where their agency is and that their choices have consequences, but yet they still have the ability to make those choices. And also, please don't say one thing and do another. Because <laughs> it just, they're not going to believe you. <laughs> it's just the way of it. They see you. They're paying attention. And also, this is a bottom line. I don't believe people are broken. I think people are exactly who they need to be to survive. So if they've, had, they've taken on these ways of being and it's gotten them to this far. Oftentimes they get to my couch and they say, I am broken. These are all the things that are happening to me. I don't understand it. And as soon as we start unpacking it, boy, it makes a lot of sense that we're acting like this because of X, Y, and Z. Of course, it, of course we do. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested in the archive video recording of this session and any corresponding handouts or resources, please visit the WHS Healthy Shaps website at healthyshaps.weebly.com.